Welcome to the East Traumacast. This program was brought to you by the Educational Resources Committee of the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma. Advancing science, fostering relationships, and building careers. Now, on to the TraumaCast. Before we get started, I'd like to say thank you to Hemanetics for their generous and unrestricted grant for the Educational Resources Committee and TraumaCast. I'm Lauren Judas, an acute care surgeon at West Virginia University. In a slightly different direction than our usual clinical-based trauma cast, today we're going to focus on some of the opportunities EASE offers. I have three of this year's scholarship recipients. If you haven't checked out our website before, on EAST, uh, under the research or scholarship and awards, you can see all of the annual program that EAST supports. So before we get any further, I'd like to introduce our guests. Why don't you guys tell us your name and where you're from? I'm Stephanie Polides. I'm a pediatric surgeon at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. I'm Eleanor Kaufman. I'm an assistant professor of surgery and trauma at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. I'm Ashanti Ratnasekar. I'm the Associate Trauma Medical Director at Christiana Care in Newark, Delaware. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. My first question to you is, why don't you tell us which scholarship you won and kind of what stage in your career you are at this point? I was this year's recipient of the Templeton Injury Prevention Research Scholarship. I'm just starting my third year on faculty. I was the recipient of the Trauma Research Scholarship this year. I'm in my second year of faculty position. I was the recipient of the East Multicenter Junior Investigator Award, and I'm in my fifth year of faculty. That's great. So I think what this shows us really is East is really supportive of early career surgeons, and uh, all of you guys are examples of ways that, uh, you know, East tries to support early career surgeons. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what kind of uh, work your East scholarship will support and and how you think that, you know, winning uh, your scholarship will kind of further your career at this time. The Injury Prevention Research scholarship is going to support a evaluation of our new hospital-based violence intervention program here at Penn, which is focusing particularly on the sort of peer mentorship and psychosocial support aspect that is part of a lot of HVIPs. I'm excited, obviously, about the opportunity to do that work and to learn more about our program and whether it's working and how it's working. Um, and it's a going to be a nice mixed method study that I think should get us some really good information, both from a research standpoint and from a programmatic standpoint as we, you know, work to improve the care that we provide our patients. But I think the, uh, I don't know, at least for me, the, the significance of the scholarship goes a little bit beyond the actual grant money that it provides. It's a, honestly, it, it feels really good to have my work endorsed by EAST, which is an organization that I admire, full of people that I admire, who I think are smart, savvy, forward-thinking people in the field. I think of East as an organization that's always trying to move our work forward. And so it's a really special honor. Uh, the, the Templeton Award for me is also a really special honor because of John Templeton himself and his legacy. So I think that acknowledgement, it feels good to me. And, and I think brings me maybe a little bit of status that I don't always feel like I've earned. But the recognition I think is really useful in terms of promoting the work and, and moving forward and developing connections and networking and coming up with new ideas, all those things that East does so well. So it's, it's pretty awesome. 
So did you already have this program started or is the grant helping start the program and help you evaluate it? We already had the program started and it's been running for about a year before the start of the research evaluation component, uh, which is supported by the scholarship. So, So just the research part, which works well. All right, Stephanie, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yours? Sure. So the East Trauma Research Scholarship will be supporting work that I have wanted to do for a long time since I was in training and now I have funding for it. So I'm really excited. I have always been interested in studying biomarker-based and more precision ways to diagnose injuries in children. There's unfortunately a lot of injuries in children and nobody wants to miss an injury. So there is a lot of over-triage that, that goes along with it to make sure that we don't miss anything, which can be traumatic to children and their families in itself and uses a lot of resources, which could be potentially sent towards injury prevention. And so what I will be doing is a pilot study looking at biomarkers of injury and and can we potentially identify these and and translate into point of care tests that would streamline that process. A lot of the clinical-based tools really just don't perform very well in, in pediatrics at this point. So we use a lot of individualized precision-based medicine in other areas, and, and why can't we use more of it in trauma now? This research scholarship is very special to me. Um, I have been submitting research and attending meetings since I was a trainee at East um, and always felt so welcome and supported. I have so many mentors who are very involved in East, including those who mentored me on this project, mentors who have received this scholarship in the past. So it it means a lot and has also provided me with some confidence as I continue on still very early in my academic career. All right, Ashanti, you want to elaborate on your story a little bit? The East Multicenter Junior Investigation Award is going to support my study on traumatic brain injury and optimal timing of starting BTE prophylaxis. So this grant is actually supporting a 24 retrospective study on whether BTE prophylaxis is safe within 24 hours of a stable head CT or not, and what type of prophylactic agent is safe. We're currently supported, you know, statistician work, organizational type work. So really proud to be a recipient. It's actually interesting because I started this project at uh, a level two that I was working in in Pennsylvania and is, I'm completing the project through that center. So I'm happy that East considered my project even coming out of a level two center and supported me. And like Eleanor and Dr. Polides, I also have mentors that have been and are still involved in this project and help me see it through the end. So for that, I'm very thankful. You guys all implied that the scholarships really mean more than the support of your research. Can you tell me a little bit more specifically about these mentors or what your story is and how you're connected with the organization? I was encouraged to submit research since I was a fairly junior resident to East that I worked on with mentors that were very involved in East and was able to attend some of the meetings and 
I just, I loved the environment and the atmosphere there. And it became something that I, I looked forward to every, every year, really. And it was a logical thing for me to, to be interested to apply for this scholarship, which I think was both feasible early on because applying for funding is necessary, but it can be a little bit intimidating, but at the same time also challenged me a little bit to write a, a, an application and push me to network a little bit and work with my mentors more closely in that way and also make some new relationships, which I think was also really helpful. And even the application process itself, I feel like prepared me for future funding applications, in addition to obviously the work that will be able to be done as a result of this. And at the meetings, have you had the chance to use any of the other East Career Committee opportunities like the No Suit, No Problem or any of the other outreach um, programs? Not off of the top of my head. I mostly attended the scientific sessions. I'm I'm a pediatric surgeon, so it's, you know, some of that I have had, I have attended some of the sessions that are more that are geared towards that. Um, but I think that's really cool that I know other there are other pediatric surgeons too who attend the meeting and I still get a lot about out of it. And even even when it's not pediatric based, I, I still I still learn a lot and um, you know, hopefully over the years we'll be able to get even more involved and make more of those connections across the fields, which are, are different, but still very, very related, especially when it comes to trauma. So. Awesome. Ashanti, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your East story? So I got involved in East my fellowship year. My mentor was Dr. Paula Ferrada, and I got involved in the mentorship committee initially and, you know, started networking through East and start coming to East conferences every year and realizing, you know, it's a really nice atmosphere to learn, to meet new people, to network. So uh, I've been going to East almost every year except last year. <laughs> but, you know, even meeting colleagues in my in the early career, it's been a really good experience. Eleanor, can you tell us a little about your East story or any particular mentors that led you in this direction? Yeah, so I'm fortunate to be very wealthy in mentors and uh, who are heavily involved in East uh, around the University of Pennsylvania. Obviously, Mark Seaman comes to mind and Pat Riley and, and many of my other senior partners have been committed members and, and leaders of East for a long time and have encouraged me to get involved and stay involved, as is maybe obvious already. One of my big areas of interest is in injury prevention. So I've had the chance to serve for the last uh, almost three years now on the injury prevention committee. And it's, you know, I think my experience on that committee is one of many examples of how East demonstrates that you, there, you don't have to be stuffy to be excellent. Um, it's always been such a welcoming environment. And I feel, you know, uh, you said we don't call ourselves young surgeons anymore. And it's true I would not call myself a young surgeon, but the way that our training is compresses our career so much that like, um, I'm, as early career surgeons, I suspect many of us have the experience of trying to figure out what we're doing while also trying to mentor junior people coming up right behind us and get involved in East is a reliable uh, piece of advice that you can give to anyone in the field, not only because it will be useful to their careers, but because you know that they will be welcomed and embraced and minimally intimidated. For example, I, I think it's probably uh, three years, I, I think since I, I was at the No Suit, uh, No Problem event that you were mentioning in which uh, 
senior surgeon offered to take on my uh, contract negotiations against my against my boss, who uh, was an old friend of his as well. I, I did not actually take him up on that offer, although maybe I should have. You never know. Um, the warmth of the environment is a really valuable piece, I guess. So have any, do any of you utilize any of the other opportunities on the East website, either through the education tab or any of the other things that East has to offer online? A uh, real world, real time example. So a big part of East, I think everybody recognizes is the guidelines. So first of all, I've had the opportunity to start to get involved in some of the guideline development process. I think it's an essential service to the field, really, in the era of like constantly growing evidence. But also I had my fellow and I last night had a discussion about what we should do with the hemodynamically stable patient with the anterior abdominal stab wounds and no overt evidence of intra-abdominal penetration. So I immediately texted him an EAST guideline. Boom, boom, right? I do that all the time. It's extremely useful on the regular. I 100% agree with Eleanor. I also really love the monthly literature review. If you don't have time to read the full JTAX journal that month, you know, the monthly literature review is a great way to stay up to date with all the concurrent literature. And it also gives you a nice little spiel about, you know, basically like a short abstract on the article. So if you read that and you go back and read the article, you know, it just gives you a depth of knowledge and you can stay concurrent with the current literature. I totally agree. Super useful. It's embarrassing to admit how short my attention span sometimes is, but the monthly literature review really um, provides high quality information within my ability to digest it. And I am grateful for that. I also use the guidelines a lot, especially when there are things where there may not be great data in pediatric trauma. I'll draw on the adult literature, which is nicely summarized in these guidelines. Um, I was so excited too to see when the blunt renal trauma guideline specific to pediatrics came out a few years ago. And um, there are a few others that are very helpful. I would agree about that. So one question we get a lot is, you know, early in your academic career, how to balance, you know, the clinical aspects of or clinical responsibilities of your job and also manage to be a successful surgeon scientist. So do any of you guys have tips on, you know, when to say no or yes or how you juggle all the responsibilities you have? No. <laughs> it's really hard. It's really hard and I'm extremely far from having the answer. I would say I'm fortunate to be really well supported in my job with mentors and bosses who kind of understand what I'm trying to do and are as supportive as they can be. But I, I think that's a challenge for a challenge for all of us, which I guess is one reason why opportunities connect to connect with people in similar circumstances or people who have been in similar circumstances and have navigated their way through to a slightly more advanced career stage successfully. Um, through East uh, and other opportunities like that can be really helpful. I do frequently text or email mentors like, can I say no to this? Should I say no to this? Should I say yes to this? It's not obvious to me. So having those resources is super valuable. I also just say yes to everything that Ashanti offers to work with me on because it's always fun and valuable. Thanks, Eleanor. Thanks for that. <laughs> True though. That's good. Now you know she'll say yes to everything. <laughs> 
That's right. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I had the answer too. I, I really don't. Um, I think like Eleanor, um, early in your career, it's sometimes good to say yes to everything because that opens doors to other opportunities that you may have never imagined. So I feel like early in your career, when you can do and juggle, you know, an elective practice and acute care practice, administrative work, research, if you can do it, I would say do it. I also don't have any great answers for that. I don't know how good at it I am myself. I tend to, like everyone else is saying, say yes to everything and fortunately have uh, supportive of enough leadership that I know they're also watching out for me a little bit. And if there's ever something that they think is probably best not to take on, will tell me. But otherwise, I'm, I'm of the same uh, mindset that I think it's it, okay to say yes to a lot of things right now and and open doors and then I've gotten advice that as you move on you're, you know some things will gradually uh, work out better than others and and then you can sort of narrow down your interest as time goes on but it's okay to 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 keep it broad and, and get involved in a lot of things earlier in your career I think right up until the point where you're disappointing yourself or disappointing the per- people that you're working with because you're overwhelmed right and it's not always easy for me to figure out when that point is going to be. And sometimes it varies on a week to week basis, but it's tricky. It's hard for me to say no to, to exciting opportunities. And, and some of the things that have turned out the best are not the things that I expected to turn out the best and vice versa. So yeah, I'm in that same mind frame for sure. So as scholarship winners and leaders in the field, uh, what advice would you give to aspiring surgeon scientists? I would say if you have the opportunity to network either through EAST or uh, your, uh, you know, your fellowship or your residency, uh, reach out to those mentors. And, you know, if you want to be involved in something, ask to be part of that, ask to be part of research studies that other centers might be getting into. I would say if you want to be a surgeon scientist, you know, your ideas are wonderful and your mentors will hopefully help you through those ideas, but collaborating with other surgeons will also help you move your research career along. Shanti, what stage in your career did you get into research? Have you always been involved in research? Probably towards the end of my residency and fellowship, uh, towards the beginning of my fellowship. I have, I guess, a piece of advice that maybe goes a little bit counter to some of the things that we've said so far, but I contain multitudes, I suppose. But when I got involved with research during my research years of residency, really, I had sort of much less of a a vision before then. And and during that time, I got a a master's in health policy research, um, which was a really lucky and unique and very valuable experience for me. Um, it was folk, the training was focused on health policy and on research methods, but a lot of the content was focused on picking research questions that would be policy relevant and it could be policy at all levels right it could be your local institutional policy up to your state and federal policy and not everyone's interested in policy but I think spending time on the front end designing your question and selecting your question and finding questions that are really going to be meaningful to someone to you and also to someone else I think because we did all just talk about saying yes and it's easy to get involved in a bunch of projects and then sometimes 
like look around you and realize like, why am I actually doing this thing? So I, I think thinking, thinking it through all the way to the end and who it's going to help and how it's going to help them and how it's going to change practice or policy or something. And a mentor of mine makes an important point about trying to pick questions that will be equally influential if they go with your hypothesis or if they go against your hypothesis. So I think investment on the front end as you're developing your research career can be pretty helpful. At the risk of sounding cheesy, I would say, honestly, follow your dreams. If there's something career-wise or even academic-wise, I think it, you know, you're going to get all kinds of feedback on, on different things, um, and it, it can be easy to get discouraged. But I think if you're truly passionate about something, that, that shines through, and that's going to be the most productive for you. But I think that also plays into what Ashanti was saying about um, networking. And you know, the, the best part about most things are the people involved in it. And so really what I love about research is it allows you to make connections across clinical areas and even into non-clinical areas. And I think that's where the really great stuff happens um, as part of those collaborations. Those are some of the most rewarding things. And and I would encourage, well, I still consider myself fairly young investigator, but (laughs) those who are even younger still in training to, to put yourself out there and make those connections, even if it seems like I'm shy myself. So it can be a little bit intimidating but I've always been amazed, especially at East, to how open everybody is and, and how willing to talk and advise and collaborate. And, and that's just been pretty cool. This is probably true in all fields, but particularly in the trauma part of our field, trauma as a disease is so much more than a disease. Probably all diseases are more sort of socially and structurally constructed than we usually think. But treating trauma as a single discipline matter is probably pretty silly. There's probably not a lot of stuff that we should be doing totally within trauma surgery alone. And that means, of course, that we should be working with our pediatric surgery colleagues like we are right now. But for me, it also means that I have great mentors and collaborators in emergency medicine and in public health and in nursing and in social sciences and in, you know, for my colleagues in who work closely with people in engineering. So I think broadening the lens on how to study the thing you want to study um, will introduce you to or open you up to working with very smart, cool people who have different strategies and will make the work better and you know, hopefully the world better a little bit. That's the idea. That's all great advice. Well, I really appreciate you guys all spending some time with me so we can kind of share your East story and your projects with the East community. And we look forward to the products that you create over this next year. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That wraps up another episode of TraumaCast brought to you by the Educational Resources Committee of the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma. Visit east.org to check out all the great educational and career development resources we have to offer. And make sure you subscribe to the TraumaCast series so you don't miss any of our exciting upcoming programs or interviews. If you're searching for cutting-edge science, professional education, networking, and career development, remember, all you need to do is look to the East.